been um, each Easter I, I like to reflect on what's important <laughs> to me and I, I always enjoy having a look at just sort of the wider culture and society and I think what's important to everyone else at Easter? Like what's everyone else worshipping at Easter? Um, a lot of people seem to be worshipping chocolate eggs, <laughs> have you noticed that? Uh, some rather ornate uh, Easter egg creations I've seen on, the, on Facebook today. Um, some people are worshipping the weather, aren't they? How many conversations have you had with someone about how beautiful the weather is <laughs> this weekend? Uh, many of us worship family, don't we? Easter is all about family. That's the, the pinnacle of Easter for many people. Um, some people worship camping <laughs> at Easter. That's the, the traditional time you seem to go camping. Uh, others worship uh, maybe a bit of DIY, a bit of a chance to do something around the house. And, of course, none of those things are wrong in and of themselves, and I probably could tick off each of those that I've, at some point this weekend, except for the camping, participated in or thought, Ripper, it's Easter, I'm going to do a bit of, bit of house, you know, fixing up in or, or something. Um, but I think we'd all know that if, if that is what we are worshipping this Easter, we're worshipping the wrong thing, aren't we? Okay. Now, heresy warning here. What I'm about to say next is going to sound like heresy. Stick with me, all right? Stick with me. Ready? So if you're worshipping eggs, weather, family, camping and DIY, um, you know, you're worshipping the wrong things. What if I was to say to you, if you are celebrating your personal individual salvation this Easter, you're also off track? possibly be thinking I'm a heretic right now maybe I can see that look in a few people's eyes if you're celebrating your personal individual salvation this Easter you're also off track now stick with me and you'll understand what I mean when I say you're a bit off track if it's all about your personal salvation what I want to do is I actually want to look at one of the prayers Jesus prayed just before going to the cross we've just finished our series on prayer haven't we and it got me thinking what are some of the prayers that Jesus prayed Okay, and, and so we're going to have a look at a prayer he prayed uh, just before getting arrested, not the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, a different one. Because I'm, I'm curious, what was on his heart in the, in the hours before his, his arrest? He knows his death is intimate. He knows he's departing this world. He knows that his physical mission on earth is coming to a close. And, and so what's the big one significant thing that is on his heart in these final moments? Uh, what's he praying? Okay, what's he praying? And the context of this prayer is at the, you know, it's part of the last meal that he's going to share with his disciples on earth. And it comes from John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse 20 to 26. Starting at verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That, they, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, 
the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. What was on Jesus' heart in the hours before his arrest? And we've got here a snapshot of what was on Jesus' heart. And there's more to his prayer, but I've just taken the the last part of it there. encourage you, go home and read the rest of John chapter 17. It's an amazing prayer that he prays. Um, But what is he's praying that when people believe the message of the gospel, so that's Christians, when people believe the message of the gospel, that's you, isn't it? When you believe the message of the gospel, he wants these people, these Christians, to be one in the same way that he and the Father are one. He wants you, plural you, to be one in the same way that the Father and he are one. He wants many different people. He wants, wants believers to be united together as one in the same way that the members of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are united together as one. And, of course, the word we use to describe that, that oneness of the Godhead is the Trinity, isn't it? The unity of God. You know, you've heard um, people say God is love. Is it God is love, and that that loving relationship that exists between the Father and the Son and the Spirit, it is so full of love. It is so rich. It is so complete that 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 the the members of the Godhead are so completely known by one another. You now you think about human relationships for a moment. All of our human relationships involve varying degrees of hiding or shame or insecurity or fear or uncertainty or competition or separation or misunderstanding or selfishness. That's what characterises broken human relationships. But none of that is part of the Trinity. The, the three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, they are so unified, they are so together in love that they actually interdwell one another. Their love is so full and whole and complete, they become one in love. God is love. You need relationship to have love. Love doesn't exist in a vacuum. Love doesn't exist in an individual, does it? Love can only happen in the context of relationships. So to say that God is love is to say that God is in a relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit. They are distinct, yet they're one. Have a look at this this beautiful colour wheel here. This is is an artist's um, symbolic impression of what the Trinity looks like. Father, Son, Spirit. And you can see they are, they are distinct and unique members of the Godhead and yet they are one. There is no uh, separateness there. There is no way you can divide Son from Spirit and Spirit from Father and Father from Son. They are one, yet three. What a beautiful image of the Trinity. 
There is complete joy. There is complete honor. There is complete respect. There is complete love. Now, these are big concepts. And to be honest, I really wasn't planning on tackling them at Easter. (laughs) But here we are. Here we are. Uh, Don't think too hard about it. You'll hurt your head. All right? But, but just know this, that God is a community. God is, is a number of persons living in relationship. Father, Son and Spirit living in relationship. And you think about even the word community. What, what small word is found in the word community? You spell it out to yourself. C-O-M-M-U-N-I-T-Y. What word is there at the end? The word unity. Don't you just love that? That the word unity is actually part of community. And and that's who God is. He is a community. He's a unity in a community. It's I mean it's 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 difficult stuff to wrap our head around, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So what is Jesus praying here? Let's just just read this verse again. Verse verse 20. I pray also for those who will believe in me through the disciples' message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. The Father dwells in the Son and the Son in the Father. They are living in perfect, loving unity. They are one. And Jesus prays that we, the believers, would be one in the same way that God is one. Remember what I said earlier, if you're celebrating your personal, individual, alone salvation this Easter, you're off track. Are you starting to get a glimpse of why that might be off track? You know, I think think often our view of salvation is skewed and impacted by the individualistic culture we live in. We live in a very individualistic, hedonistic, self-centred culture, don't we? It's all about me. It's all about my dreams. It's all about my ambitions. It's all about what feels right for me. Like that's our culture, isn't it? And, And I think sometimes that cultural lens has crept into our understanding of salvation and our understanding of the gospel. Because I think for many of us, This, this is our understanding of salvation right here. We've got God, Father, Son and Spirit, that big yellow circle there. And we think, well, there's my life and I have salvation through Jesus and I kind of get to reach out and touch God. And there's there's, there's his life and he has salvation through Jesus and gets to kind of touch God and and, and, and her life there, you, you know, you get to reach out and, and, and touch God and, and we all have our own individual salvation. But when I read this passage of scripture and when I read other passages of scripture, this, I think, is a more um, accurate view of what salvation really is about. We've got God there in the yellow circle, Father, Son and Spirit. And then we have believers United together, you, me, us, him, her, in Christ and Christ in us. It's not about my life or his life or her life. It's us united 
with Christ, him in us, us in him, the Father in him. It's, it's one beautiful unity. We are believers together. We have salvation in his name. Jesus prayed, may they be in us. May they be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Colossians 3.3 says, For you died, you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You're not reaching out from afar, kind of touching God through the cross. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Jesus didn't die so that you could have an individual personal salvation. He died so that your sin, selfish, individualistic, it's all about me kind of life would be put to death so that it would be done away with and then so that you would have a new kind of life. The Jesus kind of life, the life in his name, the, the sort of life we find in God, one of community, one of loving relationships, one of unity. You know, and you, you can't have that sort of life on your own. It just doesn't work. You actually need other believers to express and experience and to manifest that life. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Our view of salvation, it matters. It really does because it will influence how you live your life as a believer here and now. It will influence your choices. It will influence your growth as a disciple. It will influence your fellowship with God. It will impact God's kingdom. I mean, imagine if, if you think your salvation is like that. You're always going to think that you're a bit distant or afar from God and you're a bit separated or cut off from other believers and heck why on earth would you bother being with other believers because it's about you and your salvation it's got nothing to do with theirs can it can you see how this stuff influences how we live our christian lives the unity of believers is is vital it's it's i just can't i don't know words i just have no words to express how important the unity of believers is because, you know, the opposite is really ugly. Have you noticed that? The opposite of unity is ugly. Um, I guess if we were to think for a moment outside of the church, if you were to think of, you know, families or workplaces or communities where there's disunity, where there's, there's fighting and ill blood and hatred and animosity and competition and striving and disagreement, you, you think about that in families. It's ugly. Torrid. You think about that in, in, in workplaces. I mean, it's not nice, is it? Think about that in communities. I mean, that's bad enough, but think about that in churches. It's, it's just horrid, isn't it? When churches are in disunity, when there is 
um, fracturedness or disinterest, and it, it might not even be open hostility or, or aggression, but, but when there's just a, a disinterest in one another, uh, don't really care for one another. I think one of the things I love about our church is that there is great love and togetherness and unity and, and oneness. And I think it's one of the special things about being in a small church. Um, and so I'd say, you know, this is one of our strengths. Let's press in and, and let's make it an abundance. Let's make it a, a forever strength. You know, just because something is a strength today doesn't mean six months' time it still will be unless we continue, continue to make it a priority in our, our church life. So this, this uh, unity is important because the opposite's ugly. Secondly, unity is important because it's a witness to the world. It's a witness to the world. Verse 23, Jesus says, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Did you catch that bit? Mm -hmm. They may be brought to complete unity because then the world will know that you sent me. Jesus knows that unity is important. It's a witness to the world of the truth of who he is and his saving work in the world. John 13, 35 says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The world's going to know that you are a follower of Jesus through your unity and your love for one another here in the church. When we as believers, as the church, are united in loving unity with one another, it's a display, it's a picture to the world about who God is. It testifies to the truth and the validity and the power of Jesus as Messiah. When there are many tribes and languages and nations and classes and ethnicities and cultures of people all coming together, as one, united in Christ. I tell you what, that's a miracle that only Jesus can pull off because that does not happen anywhere else in the world. You know, the world doesn't have it, but the world wants it, doesn't it? The world tries to educate for it. The world tries to legislate for it. The world tries to research for it. But the, the truth is that this sort of unity is only found when the love of the Father is in us, when Jesus is in us. Unity of belief is important because the opposite is really ugly because it's a witness to the world. When I read this prayer of Jesus, there's, a, there's another word that stands out. Unity stands out, but there's a second word that stands out. And I've already been using this word a lot. It's the word love. Let me read to you uh, verse 23 and onwards again. And just, just listen out for the word love. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me 
before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made, made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Think for a moment about the sort of love that the Father has for the Son, has for Jesus. You know, and I mentioned earlier, I talked a bit about that, that relationship of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Think about that, that big, powerful, pure, complete love. That same love is to be in us as believers that might just blow your mind a little bit if you think about it, (laughs) okay? God's love is to be in us. Impossible, you say. Well, it is possible because Jesus dwells in you. That's what makes it possible. Jesus dwells in you. You are invited into the love relationship of the Trinity. Us, we, believers, We are in Christ. We are included in the divine love life of the Godhead. Wow. I mean, is there a love more complete and beautiful and perfect than that for you to be included in? We all have a need for love, don't we? You'd be lying if you said you didn't. And beyond our, our love for chocolate beyond our craving for chocolate i think we we crave a a love that meets our emotional needs and our psychological needs and our social needs and our our physical needs and i want to say to us this afternoon when we are believers when we as believers are living in this divine love relationship our, our love needs will be met When our human relationships are united together in this love life, we will begin to love in the way that we want to love, we we wish we could love, we are designed to love. When, When you have this love in your life, you really don't lack for anything. You know, love is the the practical expression of unity. It's it's the doing of unity. Love is what happens when when we are one as the Father and the Son are one. Loving unity, it will give up for the other. Do you know that? Loving unity will, um, you know, set aside one's own comfort or pleasure for the other. Loving unity will champion and encourage and uphold the cause of another. Loving unity will make us want to make the other person look good other than us. Loving unity means that we serve others and we do the lowly or the insignificant things on their behalf for their benefit, for their blessing. And in the life of Jesus, that looked like loving outcasts and washing feet, didn't it? He left the the glory of of heaven and he lived life as a peasant, as a carpenter, as an itinerant teacher, dying a criminal's death, being publicly humiliated and tortured and shamed. 
You know, this sort of loving unity, it conquers death. It conquers sin. This sort of loving unity is powerful. It, it changes things in the spiritual realm and in the earthly realm. It changes lives. It changes destinies. It changes the history. It changes the future. And, and you're invited to be part of this. We're invited to be included in this amazing mission of God on earth. And so this Easter, I, the, the question I, I want to leave you with is, is how does God want to express his loving unity through you? Now, what are you celebrating this Easter? Is it just your personal salvation? I mean, that's, that's okay to a point, but don't, don't let it stop there. You know, are you celebrating the life we, God's people, have in him together, the loving unity of the Trinity? Do you celebrate that we are one just as the Father and the Son are one? I encourage you in the coming week, look for ways. Look for ways to develop this, to step into this, to grow in this, this oneness with other believers. I guarantee you, your life with Jesus will, will uh, become all the, the more richer and fuller and just satisfying when you do that. You know, you do this by, like, make time for others. That's all it takes, isn't it? Just make time for one another. Look for shared experiences to have with one another. And I guess the, the simplest way to do that is, is to do exactly what you're doing right now. It's to, to be here on a Sunday worshipping with one another. What an amazing expression of the unity we have in the body of Christ mm. by being here, fellowshipping together, making time for our, our Sunday gathering. You know, here is where we learn together, we grow together. Here is where we share in worship and the word and, and prayer and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And this is what bonds us together in love. Where two or three are gathered, there is something special that we experience of Jesus' presence when we gather together. And I think it's this divine love life in action. If you make time to develop intimacy and relationship with one another, you, you will benefit. I think personally you'll benefit psychologically, you know, socially, emotionally, you, you, you'll benefit. But, but there are spiritual benefits too. You know, the world is going to benefit because this will testify to the power and the truth of Jesus and the difference he makes in the world today and forever. Let me finish with John 17, verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is a quality of life. It's not just a, a, a length of life. Eternal life refers to the Jesus kind of life that we get when he is our saviour. You have been invited into this Jesus kind of life, this divine life of God. You are united with Christ and your life is now hidden in him and he lives in you together. What does Easter mean for you this year? What are you celebrating this Easter?
Let's pray. Father God, what an amazing thing it is that we have salvation, we have life in you, that our life is now hidden in you together. I thank you for the the unity that you have made possible in your church, Jesus. May we be a church that is always um, recognises that and desires that and, and presses into that reality. Lord, I pray that we would make time for one another. I pray that there would be um, a, a real um, intimacy and love that grows in this congregation, Father, and that through that we might be a testimony to the truth of the gospel. We might be a testimony to the power of your living, resurrected life, alive and at work in this community of believers. And so we commit ourselves to you as as a church, as the people of God, as believers who are in you. And we say, have your way in us as a community, we pray. We thank you that we are one as you are one. And we thank you for your divine love that we can experience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.